Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm going to tell you my story, and it's not going to be, I'm not going to preach, hope I don't yell, but I'm going to tell you my story about coming back from a heart attack. Is that okay? And I'm going to try to be vulnerable as I can, and uh, you know, it's amazing how you get great fear before you actually do this. See, I, I rang Pastor Matt up a few couple of months ago and said, I got this brilliant idea. I know you're doing this series. Can, why, why don't I tell the story of my heart attack and how I got back from it? He said, what a great idea. About two o'clock this afternoon, I thought, that's a bad idea. <laughs> that's bad. That's a bad idea. That's a really, who thought of that idea? So can we pray? And then as I said, I'm just going to tell you my story, warts and all. And I hope that it's going to minister to you. Can we do that? All right, why don't you hold someone's hand if you've come with them? If you want to come with someone, hold their hand. If I was a 15-year-old boy, I would have positioned myself heaps better. That's my, that's my theory anyway. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, why don't you come? Because we need you to come. And Father, I pray throughout this night that there'll be absolutely everything about you and what you can do. So help me, Lord, because you know I do need help at this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know, it's amazing what you think about when your life is actually slipping away. I've never thought about that. But it's amazing in the wonderful gift of hindsight, when you look back at the moment when your life is literally ebbing away and you have only a few minutes left, what you think about. The problem is that my thoughts that I'm going to tell you about a bit later, the summation of what I was thinking about at that moment will indicate that I actually need serious help. But we're gonna come to that. So my story started when I was 50 years of age. That's about 10 years ago. I know it's a shock, but that's what it is. I was 50 years of age, and I know for the majority of people in this room tonight, you are not going to understand anything about the next 30 seconds. But if you're above the age of 50, you're going to be with me cheering. But at the age of 50, my body started to do things that I had no control over. A couple of things like this, it grew bigger. Okay, second thing was that previously I could eat whatever I wanted to. Now I looked at food and put on weight. It was as simple as that. I told you, the majority of you are thinking, I don't understand anything about that. And so I thought, what am I going to do? Because I'm 50 years of age, I'm putting on weight, I want to get fit. So I just did what everyone else seems to do. I thought, I'm going to join a gym. It was a brilliant idea. And I can remember the first day that I walked into that gym so confident, so disciplined, so ready to do whatever I had to do. But when I got into the gym, I realized I didn't have a clue. I didn't even know how the weights work. I didn't even know anything. But I did know there was an area in the gym where some very, very big human beings were lifting stuff and drinking cloudy material. I knew I should keep away from that. <laughs> but in the meantime, there was a sign which said cycle class. Now, I don't know whether you've been to a cycle class, but my opinion of a cycle class is they're demonic. <laughs> I just want to let you know that. But I was 50 years of age, and I thought, I'm going to go to a cycle class. So in I go, and I walk in, and this lovely instructor comes up to me and says, obviously, you're new. I should have realized at that point of time that I should have walked right out at that point. 
And she said, let me set up your bike and uh, it's gonna be great. And so I got on my bike and then for the next 45 minutes, she seemed to yell at me. I don't know whether you've been in any of these classes, but they just yell, they yell. And the faster they go, the louder they yell. And I'm thinking, I'm really hating this. But I thought, no, 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 I've got to get fit. So I came back to another one and another one. And I noticed a couple of things about the, the cycle class. I, know, I noticed there were only a few males in the class. Now, that didn't put me off at all. But it goes to indicate what then happened next was fairly bad, to be honest, because I misheard what the instructor said. The instructor said this. She said, if you are a lady, I should have realized that I was not, but I didn't pick up that point. And she said, if you're a lady, then I've got a running group for you. We're going to train for what in locally is known in Ipswich called the Park to Park. We're going to do 5Ks together. And I'd like a, a few of us to get together and we're going to train and we're going to run. And I thought, well, I hate cycle class. I'm going to go to this. See, I didn't quite figure out it was a ladies class only. So she said, you want to meet under the gym at six o'clock on a Saturday morning and I'm going to be there and we're going to go for our first run and it's going to be awesome. I thought, that's great. So I turned up. <laughs> I turned up at six o'clock in the morning and I did notice a few strange looks. I also noticed there was 45 ladies there and there was me. <laughs> now I should have realized at that point there was a problem, but I was so excited about going for a run which I hadn't ever run before, so, you know, and, and I just, I just, I just, the moment I ran, friends, I, I honestly, I loved it. I fell in love with running. I fell in love with everything about it. I fell in love with the brutality of it, that every single time I hit the ground, I now know that it takes, it took two and a half times my body weight to lift it back up. I, I loved every bit about it. And at the end of the, the, the run we had, and I was absolutely hopeless at it because as I said, I was so unfit and, and everything about it, but I went up to the instructor and I, and I said, I love this. <laughs> you know, I really was. I was very passionate about it. And she said, I'm really glad you love it because this will be the first and last class you come to. <laughs> I said, why? What did I do wrong? I mean, honestly, she said, it's a ladies class. And so I thought, oh, okay, well, um, I, I don't suppose I could, you could make an exception just for me. So I joined a running group. And honestly, I loved it. I got fit. In fact, as Matt and Frank know, I got very, very fit. And that actually saved my life. And then something happened which altered my life irrevocably. On the 3rd of April, 2013, I was running with my group. It was a Wednesday morning, slightly cold in Ipswich, not as cold as here, obviously, but as I'm running, we're doing a lot of sprint work, getting ready for a big race that was to take place in about a month's time. And I can remember coming towards the end of that hour session, and I just didn't feel right. I can remember coming down the hill, pacing with someone that was probably, you know, 30 years younger than me, but I reckon I could have beat it anyway. But as I came down the hill, I just felt this pain, just a slight pain at that particular time. I thought, well, maybe it was a bit cold that morning. I, I do suffer a little bit from exertion, asthma. I thought, you know, did I take my asthma spray this morning or did I not take my asthma spray? I wasn't really sure. And then as I walked towards the car after the session, telling no one about this because males 
don't tell anyone, especially runners. And I got into the car, and by that stage, the pain was, was, was fairly, well, it was difficult, to put it mildly. Now, the problem was in these sort of situations, which I've now found out, that most men, when they're experiencing a heart attack, will attempt to get home. That's where you die. Now, at that point, would you believe there was an ambulance center only a kilometer away, but I decided to go home, which was about 10 kilometers away. And I started to drive. As I drove up the road, the pain got considerably worse. And at that particular point, a number of things started to take place to my body. The first thing that happened was the pain was so intense, I cannot describe it tonight. If I did describe it, I would be exaggerating, but I'd be exaggerating it in, in the wrong direction. It was that bad. It was like someone with a knife and a hammer at the same time just penetrating my chest. In addition to that, my hands started to fall off the steering wheel, which as you know, you do need to keep your hands on the steering wheel when you're driving. In addition to that, I was just pouring sweat. I now know my body was just getting rid of all the water, but I, in fact, could not see. I didn't realize it was the sweat preventing me from seeing, but inside, the condensation in the car was building up. And so all of a sudden, I, I started to swerve all over the road. I remember coming up to a roundabout and missing the roundabout completely. You know how you go round the roundabout? No, I just went straight over the top. And I realized at that point, because I just could not keep my hands up, the pain was intense, and I, I, I thought, I, I think I'm falling asleep. And so the church that I actually passed was just up the road, but just by coincidence, and there's a massive driveway there. And so I thought, I'll pull up and make a phone call. And I was pretty distressed by this particular point in time. I don't know about you, but if you've got an iPhone, do you know how many buttons you've got to press to make, an, make a call. Now, my children now tell me there's an emergency part to the phone, but I was 60 and not technologically advanced. I didn't know that. So it took me four goes to make one phone call. Did I think to phone triple O? No, but I ran, I rang home. By that stage, my head was hitting on the side window. What I didn't realize was that I was passing out all the time. And as a voice came over the loudspeaker in the, in the car, I realized it was one of my girls, one of my daughters. And I was only able to say three words, ambulance, heart, and church. And then I don't know what happened. The next moment, what did happen was my daughter obviously panicked at home, and they'd left home in two cars, two of my daughters in one, and Gail, my wife, and the other, and they raced towards the church. And I do remember her opening up the door and shaking me and yelling at me. At that stage, what had happened was the ambulance had obviously been called, and the ambulance had phoned me. And somehow, in all this panic, in all this state of having this heart attack, I'd managed to push a button somehow. I don't know how that happened. So they were yelling at me as well. And at that particular point, I realized I was in very serious trouble. Because even though I was passing in and out, I could hear them talking. And I could hear one of them saying, oh, this is bad. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not the brightest, but I assume when a paramedic is saying, this is bad, it's not good. <laughs> and at that moment, I completely passed out. They revived me twice in the car. And I can remember during one time, and I can't remember when that was, I looked out of the car door. And so I'm still in the car, and they're actually working on me in the car. And remember, we're in the driveway of the church. 
and they're working on me, and as they're working on me, they're just dropping things beside the car on the driveway. And you know how I thought that, you know how I said to you about your thoughts being the final thoughts, you're thinking about something really, really substantial. Do you know what my final thought could have been? Gee, I hope they clean up that mess for Sunday. <laughs> that could have been my final thought. The next moment, another ambulance arrived, and I can remember being carried out of the, of the ambulance, out of the car into the ambulance. And that's when things took a quite a funny turn, but I didn't know about them. The next thing I remember was actually going in, being driven into the hospital, but my wife tells me the story that as I'm being carried into the ambulance, all right, and they're still working on me at this stage, still working on me, apparently I tried to sit up and say, whatever you do, don't take my running shoes off. I just bought them. <laughs> of which Gail said, and I don't want to be rude, but my lovely wife indicated to them that I could put my running boots in a place where God couldn't find them. <laughs> when you have a heart attack, time means muscle. Time means muscle. There were obviously blockages in my, the, the arteries to my heart. I now understand that four arteries were majorly blocked. In fact, two were blocked to 100%. So what was actually happening was time means muscle. The longer that you are blocked, the more damage to the heart. And so they had to race me to Brisbane. Halfway to Brisbane, they're met by a special cardiac unit. My wife tells me it was the most remarkable thing. Off to the side of the road, this tiny cardiac unit pulls up and the paramedics swap in 30 seconds, they're on the road again, but this time there's a specialized team with me and they're working on me all the way to Brisbane. I woke up when I got to Brisbane, as I said, and that's the first thing I remember. And I remember this, this nurse um, saying, right, one, two, three, and thrusting me from, with a whole lot of other people from, one t from, the, ta from the, 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 um, the stretcher onto the, the table where two doctors were going to work on me. And at that particular point, I passed out, but not before saying this. Again, I, I don't know where this came from, but I said to them, because I must have seen out of the corner of my eye, she had a pair of scissors. I said, please, don't cut the running singlet. Don't cut the running singlet. Don't cut the running singlet. My lovely son, Nicholas, said, Gail screamed from about five meters away, cut the running singlet. <laughs> and the nurse just cut the running singlet and it was off. Within an hour and a half, I was in surgery. And that was the most frightening experience because during surgery, my heart stopped and I had to be defibrillated on the operating table. As a result of that particular surgery, I had three stents put in three of my arteries, but because of the, the, the heart stopping, then I still had some major surgery to go a bit later on. And after six weeks, I then had another lot of surgery, another stent put in my heart. Do you know, I, I can remember a couple of things taking place at this hospital because at this particular point in time, you can understand I am completely in shock. I mean, I'm fit. Why did this happen? How is this happening? Is it going to affect me? Do you understand the million questions that come into your life at this particular point that you never think you're going to be normal again? There's a whole lot of things, and no one can tell you, and the hospital system, as good as it is, is foreign to you. So here I am, struggling with my health, and, and I didn't know what was going on. I remember the doctor walking in, and I'm saying, well, you know, um, uh, when can I run again? 
at that point, my lovely wife said something which is in, unrepeatable in church life. Um, but let me point, point out that it was along the lines of, will you please forget about running? But I remember the doctor saying, look, you know, um, do you know what's happened? I said, no, I don't. Can you, can you tell me what's happening? And he said, well, I, I don't know how to describe it. He said, I, he said, from what the history is that we've got from you, it does appear that because you were so fit, that saved your life. Now, I'm not leaving God out. Please understand that. But then at that point, he said, I don't know how to describe it, so let me describe it like this. If we say that one, the one was a minor heart attack and 10 was a major heart attack, you had a 12. He said, when you were brought in, we, we said to ourselves, obviously not to your family, that there is no hope here. Because only about an hour before, a cyclist was brought in and he had a heart attack at about a seven, but he didn't make it. And he said, at that moment, we, we wanted you to make it. Not because you were more special, but we didn't want two fatalities in the one morning. And so I survived. And I spent at least, I think it was about two weeks in intensive care, and that was the most humiliating experience you can ever, ever hope to be. I remember one night waking up, a couple of nights after the, the, the operations and the surgery, and I remember waking up, and I kept complaining about a, a pain in my chest. And finally, the nurse was getting very frustrated with me because, you know, I've got a high tolerance of pain, but I'm saying, look, this thing hurts. My, my chest hurts. He said, look, I've looked at all the stats. I've examined your ECG. I've done everything. I, you, there's nothing, there's nothing that be causing the pain. He said, if, I, if, you, if you keep complaining about it, I'm going to have to get on to the cardiologist. And I said, look, I've really, really got a sore chest. And he said, well, you mean a sore chest? I said, well, it, it hurts. He said, um, you, you know what happened to you, don't you? I said, well, well, I don't. He said, well, have you looked at your chest? Well, no, I haven't done it. He said, well, he said, would the chest pain feel like a burning sensation? I said, yes. He said, look, look at your chest. And what it was was when they defib me, it had burnt me. And what I was complaining about was the burns, but I didn't know about that. And all of a sudden, it took me by surprise at that moment. And I remember just bursting into tears. This is really serious, God. I am in deep yogurt here. After about two weeks, I was released from hospital. And uh, I remember this incident so well. I remember that I had to go down to the pharmacy and they wanted to take me by a wheelchair. But I'm not going to go in a wheelchair, am I? And so they said, oh, well, let him walk to the lifts. Fine. You know, because I'm saying, I'm not going in a wheelchair. I'm not going in a wheelchair. And they're so wise. They, they dealt with Mark Edwards as before, just different types. And so as I got out of my bed, confidently, I made it 10 meters. And I said, I think I'll take the wheelchair. <laughs> and so we went down to the pharmacy, and I remember coming to the pharmacy counter and this young girl was the pharmacist, and she was leaning over the counter because I'm in the wheelchair, so I'm looking up, and the counter's about there. And honestly, I, I don't want to be offensive, but this girl looked like she was, she was about 10. You know what I mean? I, and she's leaning over, and she's saying, oh, Mr. Edwards, you've got all this medication. And she's pushing all this medication in this big bag about that big. And finally, she said, well, I can't just drop it to you, can I? So I'm going to come around and explain. And she comes around, and she stands in front of me, and she puts all this, this medication in front of me. And I am just 
in tears. And I said to her, am I taking this just for a couple of weeks? And she said, um, has no one spoke to you about this? You'll be taking medication for the rest of your life. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but for me, it meant everything. I mean, I, I, I was just beyond words. I remember burying my head in my shoulder, in my, my, just like this, and thinking, God, this is, I can't do this. Why did this happen? And you know, you get all these wonderful preachers that'll tell you how they had these wonderful God moments at that time. I had a God moment at that time. Yeah, I called him everything I could. I, I let him know exactly what I thought of the fact that he'd caused the heart attack in the first place. And Gail, my lovely wife, just wheeled me to the car and took me home. My journey has not been easy, can I tell you that? In some ways, the physical journey, and I'm going to come to that later, has been a lot easier than the emotional one. But I want to tell you about my emotional journey, and I want to tell you what my family went through. The emotional journey started off with this. All of a sudden, for the first time in my life, and for those of you like Matt and Franca that know me, you know, I'm a fairly confident person, but I developed anxiety and panic attacks that were horrendous. I'd never experienced this before. I'd never experienced the fact that you get, I can't even begin to describe them. I would panic over everything. I can remember having to go out the door of our house and I couldn't open the door to go outside. I physically couldn't open it. I was shaking with fear, absolutely shaking with fear. I remember I had an appointment at a cardiac rehabilitation unit. Oh, that was a real joy. And, you know, I was taken to the cardiac rehabilitation unit and Gail dropped me off and said, look, it's just that door, just go on into that door. And I walked in and as I walked in, I looked around and please hear me, I'm probably exaggerating a bit, but everyone looked like they were 120. And as I walked in, I remember this, this old guy coming up to me and said, hey, you had a heart attack, have you? I said, well, you know, I, I'm, yeah, I, you know, just leave me alone, you know? You know what, you know, he said, don't worry about it. He said, I've had seven and look at me. I was looking at him, and I wasn't being encouraged, I can tell you. So at that point, even though I'd been given this, this form that I had to fill in, I quietly put the form down and bolted for the door. Literally bolted for the door. Thank goodness the, the, the cardiac rehabilitation specialist was there and saw this exchange, and he dashed to the door as well. And I'll still, I still remember the picture of him standing in the doorway going, you're not going out. And I said try to stop me. He said, I will. And at that point, I literally burst into tears and fell on the ground. And he picked me up and took me into his room. And he said, Mark, I think we can make it. What's going on? I said, I, I, I don't think you understand. I said, I, I can't even get up in the morning without being scared anymore. I, I said, I, I go to a cafe. See, I'm not trying to be arrogant. Please hear me. But you know, I go, back five, I go back five generations in Ipswich. I'm well known in Ipswich. And so do you understand that every time I went out, I would have people ask me about my heart attack? I mean, I, I remember standing on a street corner. I, I mean, I'd gained confidence enough. I, I thought I had confidence enough to go to a cafe. So I'm standing on the street corner. A car pulls up, 
that I don't even know. And a guy leans out of the window, full note, and says, hey, Mark Edwards, great to see you. How's the heart, buddy? This is full note. I couldn't go to Coles. I couldn't go to Woolworths without being stopped five or six times. I tried to go to a cafe that I'd been to for years and couldn't open the door. I remember trying to get back to the gym. And I remember, do you know, as you go in a gym, there's the doors that open. Well, you know, I went to the gym and I remember going to the door and it opened, but I couldn't take another step. It took me seven attempts to go into the gym. And finally, one of my running friends actually said, hey, hey, I'm going to take you in. And actually took me in. Even to go to church, I couldn't face church. Now, that's a bit of a problem when you're the pastor. You may get away with it, but i got to go. Do you know what I mean? So what we had to do is the church had to slip me in during the first song because I couldn't face any of the people. And during the last song, I had to be taken out. And the people were, people were, were good, but they couldn't understand what was going on within me. I would cry over the drop of a hat. But the worst was this panic attacks which just filled me. So how did I overcome this? Because, you know, you may think, well, he looks right now. Do you know that yesterday I had another panic attack? Just yesterday. Just yesterday. Because I thought about preaching to you. I thought about talking about this story. I'm standing right there, just there, tonight. And I'm crying out to God and saying, God, this was a bad idea. And if I could go out of this place right now, I would. Literally panic gripping my soul. But I've learned a bit about this. I suppose I, I need to give you some facts. Can I do that? Just before I tell you about what I did to overcome it. Here's some facts that I found out about. Do you know that during times when you're going through this, people are going to say stupid things to you? Am I allowed to say that? Oh, boy, did they say some stupid things. And, and you know what? There is nothing you can do to prevent that. So I had to learn to deal with that. And you, weren't feel, you also don't feel like socializing. But everyone says, you need to get out more. I mean, I'm a cave-dwelling introvert at the best of times. So you can just imagine what was going on. But I did understand that when John, writing a gospel in 1 John 3.20, said, God is greater than our feelings, did I take a hold of that? And I discovered that there were a couple of things that were really important during this journey, and I think they're important for any journey you're going through when you find yourself just overwhelmed. Do you feel like that sometimes? I still do. The first thing, and I know it's trite, but sometimes I think God gives us very simple things so we can do them simply. The first one was just good friends. I remember reading a, a tweet from Rick Warren after he lost his son during this time. Because, you know, I had a bit of time on my hands, okay? And I remember reading this, this tweet by Rick Warren, who pastors a, a mega church in the United States. He lost his son to suicide. And he said this, he said, Treat everyone with grace because there'll be some people you would expect to contact you, and they won't. And there'll be other people who you won't expect to contact you, and they will. But just treat everyone the same with grace. And that's exactly what happened. People that I thought would contact me didn't. And people that I didn't expect to contact me did. And because I treated them with grace, I learned that lesson. I never got bitter over this experience. I never got bitter. I never got bitter. I just treated them with equal grace. 
But I had good friends that would encourage me. I had a friend from the United States that Matt and Frank know well. He rang and said, I'm on the next plane. Gal said, please don't, all right? Please don't. But I'm on the next plane. No, please don't. I mean, that's the friendships we had. It was amazing. I had people come and just sit with me and say nothing, and I didn't know what to say. I was scared of them, but they just came and were with me. The second thing I learned was this, the devotions became my lifeline. Can I tell you, I didn't expect that. But at this particular time, I lost contact with God. I lost complete contact with God. I couldn't tell God's voice. I couldn't tell God's voice from pizza, to be honest. But devotion secured me. And I remember right from the word go, I made this decision, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going, to get, I'm going to make sure God speaks to me through the Bible. And you know, right through my Bible are marks down the columns. They're just written all over. Can I just tell you a couple? On the 10th of May, 2013, now that was only, what, a month or so afterwards, I write this, word in season for me. Psalm 56, verse 13, for you have rescued me from death. You've kept my feet from slipping. Now. I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. Those sort of verses just, I mean, I was just reading the Bible verse by verse. I mean, they might have been random, but they spoke to me. Only about, only about two, three days later, on the 13th of May, there was another verse, Psalm 30, verse 2, hope and faith, hope and faith after my heart attack. That's what I've written in the column. And here it is, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help and you restored my health. I held on to those things. I held on because I couldn't even go outside at this point. And then I decided there was a third thing, that I was going to move at my pace and no one else's. People put so much pressure on you, don't they? I mean, the advice I got, some of it was just absolutely dreadful. But I decided, you know what? I'm just going to take it at my pace. Well, in the midst of all these panic attacks and all this anxiety, things that still shake me, I, I, I also decided that I wanted to run again. Now, I had to weigh up divorce proceedings or running again. <laughs> you know, and I, and I did, but I, I wanted to run again. I remember going to my cardiologist, and I remember saying to my cardiologist, you know, I just want to beat this heart attack. I mean, my cardiologist has no bedside manner at all. None. None. And he just looked at me and said, you're an idiot. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure you were taught that in medical school, but anyway, and we got to know each other very well. He said, Mark, you are, repeat after me, alive. You beat the heart attack. And so I said to him, I said, can I run a marathon? He said, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he said, yeah, $215 later, get out. <laughs> I mean, he honestly thought I was joking, but I, I wanted to run. And so I came home tentatively and said to Gail, do you think I can run? She said, her first words, I, I love the way she was so supportive. She said, over my dead body and yours. <laughs> now, I don't know about you being a male, but I got that. And I said, I'd really like to run, honey. Can I just start off? And I remember the first time I got out of the car, and I remember the day before I'd run 21 kilometers. My heart attack. I went the length of a netball court and had to be helped physically back in the car by Gail and my son. 
eventually I said to Gal, I do want to run again. So I remember the first morning that I turned up to run. And you know what? There were seven people there. I thought, this is amazing. Seven people just coincidentally have turned up to run with me. It's fantastic. Do you know it took me two years, two years of all these people turning up, almost like a roster, <laughs> to realize that Gail had organized a roster for every time I run. And I realized, come on, you know, and so I, here's some, so I set some goals. Could I run 20 Ks by six months after my heart attack? Could I do a half marathon at 21 Ks within 12 months? And dare I tell Gail, I want to run a marathon in two years. So as I started to train and went back and healing took, took place, because you've got to remember, after my heart attack, my heart function went to 17%. So it had to improve a bit. And finally, I broke the news to her that I wanted to run, and if I was only going to do one more marathon in my life, I wanted to do an overseas one. And so she said, well, I want to take you to the cardiologist and let's get some conditions. He went ballistic. He said, you can't run a marathon because this is what will happen to your heart. But I ignored him. <laughs> and so I convinced a mad mate of mine who works in London to run with me. And I remember on the starting line of the Champs-Élysées as I ran the Paris Marathon, two years, almost to the date. And I ran that marathon. I remember coming to the finish line and I remember coming to the finish line and I'm nearly done. I remember coming to the finish line and you've got to understand there's 55,000 run the marathon in Paris and as I come to, there's a whole lot of finishing shoots. So you go through and there's all these French ladies were just lined up and they're sitting there and they're just handing out the medal like this. You can imagine, they're bored. <laughs> they're bored. They're just handing out the medal. When I came through the shoot, boy, did she get a shock because I was so emotional. I was crying my eyes out. And I just saw her there. I don't know who she was, this poor lady. <laughs> but I hugged her. <laughs> I hugged her. I grabbed hold of her and I hugged her. And I absolutely... You know how you, you cry certain moisture <laughs> comes out of your nostrils? <laughs> so I'm pouring my nostrils on her shoulder and she's trying to push me away, but I wasn't letting her push me away. I'm having my moment with this lady, and I'm patting her on the shoulder, and finally, my good running mate says, it was the funniest thing ever. Finally, you can see her tense up, and then finally wrap her arms around me and go, it's okay, in broken <laughs> English. What's changed as I finish? Well, as you know, I still battle with these panic attacks. There's not a day goes past sometimes that I don't have to muster all the courage I've got and do what God's intended me to do. I've taken small steps, and that's what you've got to do. I got professional help, and that helped. And I held on to God more than I've ever held on to Him before. I'm more open to the Holy Spirit than I've ever been. I don't say I'm good at it, but I'm there with my hands open and saying, Holy Spirit, just, I can't do this without you. And that dependency has caused me to trust God more, and I think God's trusting me more now. 
because he's opening opportunities for me that I could never have dreamed about. But I think the biggest lesson I learned that I want to leave with you tonight is that previously, I always thought the destination was the thing. Now I realize it's the journey. And every single day, the journey counts. Every single day, I think, I'm so blessed to be alive. So when I preached this morning, do you know what I thought after when I got back to the hotel? I thought, I'm so blessed. And do you know what I'll do when I get back to the hotel tonight? I'll ring my wife, Gail. I'll say, honey, I'm so blessed. Because I never, ever thought I'd be preaching again. So let me finish by saying this to you. You know, life's, life just sends you some curveballs. Do you understand that? Stuff happens. I've learned not to ask why anymore. But I have learned just to hold on to God and say, let's do this together. And with Him, with Him, it's amazing the testimony that you are for His glory if you just keep holding His hand. Can I pray for you tonight? Come on, why don't we bow our heads and then I'm going to hand over to Pastor Matt. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what you're facing. I guarantee there's people in this room that have to deal with anxiety. I guarantee that. I guarantee there were people in this room who know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about a panic attack. I'll guarantee there's people in this room that know what it's like to wake up in the morning with anxiety and go to bed at night with anxiety. And I'll guarantee there's people in this room that are facing some valleys that even are far deeper than I've ever faced. But if I could encourage you tonight as I pray for you, can I tell you God walks those valleys with you? And I don't want to make it this simple. I don't want to say, you just come to the front and I'm going to pray with you and it's all going to go away. Hey, 2013, it's now 2020, it's 2019, sorry, and I'm still going through my valley. But sometimes... Just hearing me say that will be the greatest encouragement you can have. So Holy Spirit, right now, right across this room, in the secret places of people's hearts that they can't even begin to share about, and maybe they haven't. And Lord, for those that experience what they perceive as the shame and embarrassment of having anxiety or a mental health challenge, or panic attacks and don't even want to talk about it, God, I pray you will come to them tonight. And I pray your anointing would fall upon them in such a powerful way that they would know that they are not alone. I pray they would know that you never leave nor forsake them. I pray that they would reach out their hand and hold on to you. I pray they'll be encouraged and confidence would rise. And I pray miracles would happen and I pray restoration would commence. I pray tonight, Lord, that word restoration over this church and the people within it, that there'll be people within this place that can now start their journey of restoration. And I pray for healing of body and soul 
and spirit. And I pray, Lord, that we'll be honest and vulnerable enough to do life together with great friends. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.